Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 138 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 138, uh, Scott and I are going to be talking about a handful of uh, topics. Number one, we're going to talk about memorizing, essentially how to memorize and some study tips and tricks for memorizing. Some stuff we've talked about a little bit before, but always a good idea at the beginning of a quiz season to come back around and talk about that sort of thing as folks are getting into the habit of or developing habits of memorization across the season. We're going to be talking about preparing reference materials for open book question responses uh, or query responses. I'm still uh, translating all of this stuff in my head for CBQ. But under CBQ, of course, you can use open book, which means you need to have uh, some sort of uh, reference material that you can close and theoretically then open when you're responding to a query uh, via open book. So what kind of reference material can you put together? Uh, and well, you can put together just about anything. And so what are some of the ideal uh, options or what are some of the strategies behind putting together an open book uh, material reference? And then since we're talking about materials, uh, what kind of reference materials are useful for study since those things may be a little bit different. There may be different uh, ideal materials for open book versus study. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Adult Quizzing League and how inflation impacts uh, Bible quizzing and probably a few other topics. So with that all said, let's just dive into the first topic, which is memorizing. So how to memorize? Well, uh, why is memorization so important? Well, because you know, there's really no way to score well without memorizing. You can certainly show up to a quiz meet without studying at all, and you can respond to a couple of open book queries per quiz if you're able to uh, snatch the trigger on those couple of queries. And you'll be able to get a couple of points, and that's great. So you're in engaged and participating in the meet. But if you really want to break away and, and to uh, be able to get any kind of substantial points uh, out of a quiz, you really have to memorize. There's just no other... There's no other way to do it. Uh, you can't study the rule book and uh, appeal your way into more points. Uh, well, maybe one or two points here and there, but you're, you're not really going to affect much uh, by appealing. And uh, your open books are are rather significantly capped in terms of points potential uh, on purpose. So if you really want to get anywhere, you got to memorize. So how does one study and memorize? So I'll talk first a little bit about how I do it. And then Scott, I'd love to hear how you memorize. Cause I think you and I have very different memorization styles. Uh, for, for me, what I've used is kind of a broken up rote approach. So I'll start with a, a verse and, and I should actually back up a little bit. I'll start with a, I will plan to memorize a block of verses. Uh, so even if I've got, say, key verses in the old universe or uh, club verses in the new universe, either club 100 or club uh, 250, I will uh, I will grab a cluster of verses that are all together, ideally. So uh, usually I'll pick a group of 10 or 15 or 20 verses that are all back to back. And I'll start at the beginning. I'll just go linearly from top down and I'll take a verse isolate that one verse, and then I'll break that verse into uh, component pieces. If 
usually where commas are or or different kind of phrases and where do i take that verse apart i don't know it's just where words just sort of naturally cluster together i guess for me as i'm reading them and i'll just kind of pick a, a group of three to five six words in a cluster and i'll just say it over and over and over again until i've pretty much got it then i'll move to the next cluster then move to the next cluster and then i'll start putting clusters together and every so often in that process, I will recite the reference again. So, you know, Galatians chapter one, verse one, and I'll just say the first chunk of that verse, the second chunk of the verse, put the two chunks together and then say the reference, then say the third chunk of that verse and then say the reference and then put it all together and then just move on to the next verse. Um, Scott, how what was your, how did you memorize? So I'll first talk about, I think, two overarching principles, which is learn how you memorize easiest and start there. It's kind of like training wheels on a bicycle. Um, you want to get going and kind of build the muscles. And so figure out if you like to, you know, write it on a whiteboard and erase words successively or chunk it up into its parts of a sentence like you do Griffin or, um, read it a bunch or, um, you know, however else you might try to do it. Um, start with whatever is easiest for you. But then let's say you were now really good at bicycling, but you want to get really good at bicycling. You want to do something that's hard for you, right? Like either um, do off-road bicycling or bicycle on, well, on weird surfaces or whatever would be difficult because it makes your brain work harder and it solidifies it further. So that would be, you know, quoting backwards or um, doing reference work or um, – trying to quote random verses based off of the reference. A lot of that's going to be very hard for your brain. Probably shouldn't start there, um, <clears throat> but I would move there. But the way that I would memorize is it was very difficult for me, to, for my brain to concentrate on the act of memorizing from scratch. That was a very like brain intensive activity and I just couldn't do a lot of it. So I would engage with the material in every way that I could think of that was quote unquote easier. So I wrote out the entire material, like um, the reference and then the verse. I would often then highlight what I had written out. I would highlight keywords or other things about the verse. I also, so dates me a little bit, I would voice record onto cassette tapes. I think I was using CDs by the time I finished quizzing, but I definitely started on cassette tapes. And it's very hard to read um, word perfectly. I would read the reference and then the verse. It's very hard. <laughs> and that was absolutely a form of study. And then once I had that cassette tape recorded, I could just listen to it over and over and over again, which your maybe my concentration, it, it definitely varied while I was listening to it, whether I was really listening to it or whether it was just kind of happening while I, my brain did other things. Um, but that was another way that I engaged. So writing it, voice recording it, listening it back, um, I wrote out every keyword or unique word onto um, one-sixth of a note card. Um, I wrote questions. I sometimes listened to my brother quote. And so I did all of these things. And then we had quiz practice once a week on Sundays. And so usually on Saturday was the first time I would try to see what I had missed. And so I would just go through whatever the new material was for that week and see how much of it I could quote. And whenever I got to a point in a verse that I just didn't know for sure what the next word was, I would look at it and I would just repeat this. And it was actually pretty quick at that point that I could quote everything 
word perfect. And then once I knew what all the words were and that I could quote it word perfect at least once, then it was much easier for my brain to just quote it from memory again and again and again. And I would do it forwards. I would do it backwards. I would do random verses. Um, but I kind of, I, I minimized what was hardest for my brain, which is memorizing from scratch. And so I would engage with the material until I had kind of memorized it 80% or 90% without really knowing it or trying to quote. And then once I was able to quote it at 100%, the act of quoting was so, was much easier. And then I could just drill that, drill that, drill that. And I used speed as a gauge of how well I knew something. So if I could quote a verse very quickly, it meant I was not needing to pause to remember parts of it. If I could, after grabbing a note card with the reference of chapter three, verse 21, if I can start quoting it in under a second, it means that my recall of matching the trigger of the reference to the recall of the verse was really, really solid. And so I would, I would actually time myself um, how long it took me to quote certain chapters. And I knew how many verses there were. And so I could say, which chapters did I quote at the slowest seconds per verse. I think at some point I, I went as deep as word count because obviously verses are different lengths, but usually at a whole chapter level, it kind of evens out. But I was always using speed as how well do I know this and um, eliminating the chapters that I was weakest at. Yeah, really cool. I want to double down on something you said. Uh, you were talking about muscle building, that memorization is sort of like a muscle building uh, exercise. I really, really want to underscore that because uh, it, it's extremely true. We sometimes think of mental exercise as uh, or, or mental pursuits as somehow different than physical pursuits. And when it comes to quizzing, I think, and many other things as well, but certainly when it comes to quizzing, I, I just really don't think that's true. I think there's a, an extreme overlap and uh, a, a, a certain amount <clears throat> of analog overlap between uh, muscle building, muscle memory, and mental capability building and mental memory. So, you know, imagine somebody who is generally out of shape, who hasn't exercised in quite a while, and then they decide they're going to start uh, walking and start to be physically active again. They're, they're, they're going to get sore at first. It's going to be difficult for them to do a lot. Uh, they'll be able to, you know, do a little bit of walking, but they won't be able to go and run a marathon, you know, kind of stuff. And it'll be slow going at first and really can feel um disillusionment making uh in the beginning because you think like oh well you know sure the first day uh, i was only able to memorize one verse and i forgot half of it and i don't remember it very well and the second day you think well i should be able to do better the second day because i worked the first day and this kind of goes on and on for a few days wherein you're not seeing a substantial alteration of your capability over the first few days right but then something happens and you start seeing dramatic improvements slow at first but increasing in their uh, rapidity and quality where you're you're able to memorize much more effectively and much more rapidly and then you kind of so so in the middle you're actually in, improving your capability rapidly and then if you keep at it, what, what ends up happening is you reach a second plateau where you're, uh, you know, in that, that top 10% of your capability 
and you have to just keep working really hard to go one or 2% more than what you did before, right? So oddly enough, when you start memorizing from scratch from a cold still, uh, it's a lot of work. And when you are practicing every day, when you are memorizing every day, trying to push a little bit higher, 1% higher is really hard. Those extremes on the beginning and the end are difficult. What's easier tends to be the stuff in the middle, right? Um, so think of, think of memorizing like some sort of sport that requires some level of skill, like uh, baseball, golf, something along those lines where, you know, there's, there's a physical demand and muscle demand, but there's also the tuning of the muscle and the shaping and the muscle memory that has to develop uh, and the technique that develops from that. This all kind of comes together with memorization. So uh, expect that your first few days, even if you've memorized you know, before, even if you've memorized, say, last year uh, with Axe or something, and you're coming into Gepka, you're going to be a little bit slow and a little bit rusty in the first few days, first few weeks. Uh, but the way to overcome that is to memorize, try to memorize at least a little bit every day to just get it, get it into a routine. Don't, if you're doing like practices once a week, don't fall into the habit of cram memorizing the day before or the morning of a quiz practice. Uh, really try to do a little bit of something every day and then maybe review the day of the practice or something like that. It will feel a little bit drudgeristic for the first couple of weeks or so. But once you've got that down, that, that pattern down, it will become easy and will actually become a joy. Yeah, and I feel like I was fairly self-aware where I knew that if I just forced myself to memorize from scratch, I would not want to do it and probably would not do it. Mm -hmm. And so I figured out, like, what are the activities that I can reliably do and do a lot of? Um, and so I front-loaded all of the activities that were some amount of study, but if you're if amount of effort is on a 1 to 10 scale, they were probably below 5, Mm -hmm. and did not require my full attention and brain to do that level of study. And then it made the closer to 10 brain effort types of study actually probably less effort than they would have otherwise been. Um, because, I mean, it, it's I think it is really similar to fitness. Um, the most important way of doing it is whatever will get you to do it consistently. And it's not it's not, it's less about worrying what the specific optimal way to do it once is. It's what is the level that I can sustain for the next hundred days or the next ten years. Right, indeed. Well, a uh, few other ideas in terms of memorizing. It is very helpful to have peer pressure. <laughs> so, I mean, peer pressure can be a bad thing, but it can also you can leverage it to your benefit. So. I recommend studying or considering studying and reviewing as a team. Now, I mean, for some people, they're very uncomfortable doing that. They're like, no, I would freak out too much. I just want to, you know, do it by myself. I get that. I totally get that. In fact, I would probably call myself similar in a, in a lot of respect, but I would challenge you to maybe 
work through that fear and to find a study buddy or study as a team. So in CBQ teams are two or three people. So it's, we're not talking about a huge group of people here. These are people that you're going to be quizzing with. Uh, you're going to be friends with these folks. So studying together and reviewing together can be really helpful. So what are some ways to do that? You know, certainly we're separated by geography from time to time. So regular weekly calls might be a good idea. Use discord, zoom, hangout, Slack. Skype. There's a bunch of other tools that are available. Uh, most of that stuff is free. Um, so yeah, if you're on discord, just do a discord call, uh, or whatever, and just meet up on some kind of virtually meet up on, in some sort of regular basis and, uh, you know, turn the video on and just start talking and sharing and, and memorizing together. And, uh, you know, you could do something like just start with one time per week for 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever, and say, yeah, on, you know, Wednesdays at five o'clock or whatever, depending on schedules, we're going to get together, but see if you can increase that. Uh, see if you can maybe do it maybe even two or three or more times a week. And again, we're not talking about spending three hours a day memorizing together. It, it's the 15 minutes to a half hour uh, multiple times a week, let's say, uh, three times a week. If you're doing half an hour, three times a week versus one time for an hour and a half, I think the three instances are actually better, uh, similar to, you know, physical exercise. If you can do shorter duration, but more frequently, I think you're going to, uh, do a little bit better, uh, long-term. And so memorize together, quote together. And then another option, uh, if you feel comfortable doing this is to study and review with your family. So if you got brothers and sisters quote to them, parents quote to them. And what I recommend here, similar to what I was recommending when you're reviewing with your team is schedule, like schedule a specific time. If it's not scheduled, it's very easy for folks in our hectic universe these days to say, I'm, I'm really busy right now. I've the, the tyranny of the urgent triumphs and unless we fight back with schedules. And so to say ahead of time, like, well, on Monday, what's the best time on Monday to do 15 minutes of quoting? What's the best time on Tuesday to do, you know, 15 minutes of quoting? And maybe it's the same time every day, depending on schedules. Uh, in our household, it's not the same time every day because we're, we're, we're very busy with different things. So we have a specific time for each day of the week, Monday through Friday, where it's, you know, here's, here's the half hour that we're going to devote uh, to, to memorizing. But again, everybody's different. So how, how best is it going to be for you to memorize is not going to be the same way that it was for Scott or the same way it is for me or the same way it is for even your brother or your sister. So explore different options and stick with it, right? Uh, try one particular pattern for a week and evaluate, and then try a different kind of pattern for the next week and evaluate. But the key bit is always be moving the ball down the field. Try, try something and keep trying it, get some data, evaluate its effectiveness, and then maybe consider a different approach. If it's not, if you're not feeling like it's a great approach, and then even if it's a good approach, look for opportunities to optimize. One bit of advice is be aware about what your parent is able to do. <laughs> um, I have had a lot of really, really good quizzers quote to me when I was coaching internationals. And a lot of them said, my parents don't know quizzing well enough to understand the importance of actually verifying that I'm quoting word perfect to them. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and if that's important to you, 
um, you need to make sure that whoever's listening to you quote is able to know that importance and, um, hold you to the standard that you want to be held to. And I remember one time there was a new quizzer to a church, um, that my wife was coaching and a parent came up to her feeling like they were doing her the biggest favor ever as a coach and said, I told my kid never, ever, ever make. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh, actually airs are like good to a, to a point. (laughs) Um, and so like, sure, there are lots of parents that are super involved and super knowledgeable, but then there are a lot that aren't, um, and just know what they can provide to you. Yeah, that's a good point. We should state for the record, as we said before, you know, obviously don't err all the time, but don't fear the error and to optimize your point earnings potential, you're going to have to risk the edge of an error you're you're and and so there is going to you're going to have to have some kind of error rate uh that is higher than zero if you're going to optimize for the most amount of points that you can get it's that's just the nature of of risk reward you're going to have to you know have a certain number of at bats and sometimes you're going to strike out and it's lame it happens but if you're not at the bat uh you're you you don't have a chance to hit a home run Yep. And it was funny because that quizzer ended up pushing the limits of how often you can err and still be a valuable contributor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Anything else on memorizing before we move on? I don't think so. All right. So let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about preparing reference material. So there's there's really kind of two in CBQ. There's really two universes of reference materials. There's reference materials that you're going to want to prepare that will help you study and so we'll talk about that second, or I guess, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about first. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But there's group one is, let's say, reference materials for when you're studying, when you're preparing. And the other set of materials are the reference materials that you will have prepared uh, for open book usage uh, at, at any particular level, even at the most advanced levels, I think it's a wise idea to have an open book reference available in case you need it. Uh, or if the strategy seems to make sense, uh, in a particular query of a particular quiz. So let's start with the open book material because a couple of things, you know, if you're, if you're producing reference materials for study, these can be electronic. They don't have to be physical. If they are physical, they can be awfully big and you can have multiple versions of, or multiple chunks of of paper, you know, for your study at home. It's not that big of a deal, uh, because, and you can, you can have it organized in such a way that's easy to use while you're studying, but may not necessarily like fold up and be able to close very easily. And you don't have to care about weight necessarily. Uh, when you're talking about reference materials for use in open book responses, well, you definitely, you know, legally you have to have something that's printed. It can't be electronic. It has to be something that can close. Uh, and, and I use that word very loosely. Uh, you can have printed pages that you just turn upside down and that's considered closed, right? Something that you're, you're not able to, to just inadvertently see, uh, while open while quizzing. And, uh, but certainly the more you can tailor this, turning it into either a stapled or a spiral brown notebook or whatever it happens to be, the better. 
So what kind, and of course you can't bring, well, I, I suppose you could bring giant binders with you up to the stage, but flipping through a giant binder when you're trying to respond to a query open book is less than ideal. So you want to try to keep your reference materials for open book thin, as thin as possible, but no thinner, right? You want them to be thin enough that you can easily flip through and find things, but not so thin that you're not able to find something. So what are, what are some things that might be useful for these sort of open book reference materials? Well, first off, I, I think you should have verse content by reference uh, for your translation uh, for, for the meat, certainly. Right. So the idea being that if, uh, and, and imagine go back to the four query types, at least right now, the four query types, we've got phrase, chapter, quote, and finish, right? So if you're talking about a quote query, quote queries are absolutely ripe for open book responses. So having your verse content sorted by reference with the reference at the beginning of the verse in your translation, that's that's a no-brainer to be able to go after 25% of the queries uh, via open book, right? Then uh, next up, uh, I would probably the next easiest query type to go after is the finish. So this is where you would have the first five, basically take the verse content that was original. So imagine two columns in Excel where you've got the reference on one column and you've got the the verse content, the, the text of the verse in the next column. Just flip those. Uh, and sort by the first five words alphabetically, or well, sort by the, the alphabetical of the first column. That'll end up with the first five words sorted alphabetically. And then you've got the reference uh, trailing onto that. And if you can do that for each translation, it gives you the opportunity to locate verses that are outside of your translation and respond to them in your translation. And there's different ways that you could group this. So... Uh, you might have um, uh, there. You might be able to say, like, take the first five words only across every translation and then pair it to a reference, but not the content from your verse and then have the verse by content uh, or, or verse content by reference uh, in your translation. And so it requires two lookups really quickly when you're when you're responding to a finish. So the first thing is you find the reference by looking at the first five words uh, in your index and then flip to the other reference material to be able to pull the verse content by reference from your own translation. So that would be a way to be able to go after with those two things combined, you'll be able to go after, uh, 50% of, uh, query types, uh, roughly six queries, uh, on, uh, per 12 on a, on a typical quiz. Another type of material would be call it a forward key phrases. So this is going after chapter uh, query. So a chapter query has to include a prompt of seven words where the first four of those words are unique to that chapter, but they exist in at least one other chapter in the material. So if you can identify those forward key phrases that exist, that are unique to each chapter and exist in at least one other chapter of the material, you can put a, a reference list together for that. And if you do that per translation, now granted, that's a fairly significant amount of work, uh, but if you did that per translation, now you're able to go after 
your uh, chapter uh, reference queries. Uh, and so now you're at 75% of the material or 75% of the quiz where you're able to go after uh, open book. And then lastly, for the phrase, these are the hardest to target, but you could look at creating two, three, four, maybe even five, although that's probably harder to do, uh, or in terms of effectiveness, but look at creating two, three, or four word key phrases sorted alphabetically, and then have a, like a reference uh, check to be able to go from any translation to your translation from the first set of the material. This one's the hardest one to do for a couple of reasons. Identifying all those two or three or four word key phrases is difficult. Uh, not impossible, but it's difficult. And putting that list together is huge, especially when you're talking about two word key phrases, um, two and three word key phrases versus four word key phrases. Uh, this is going to be a very, very large reference. And so it may become unwieldy. However, you can use tabs. Uh, so again, the ruling, uh, the, from the rule book, you, your reference material can have anything printed on it as long as you can close the material such that you can't see it, right? You can't see the printed material. So a couple of quizzers were saying, well, can I add a little sticky out tab where red means my verse content by reference and blue means my first five words sorted alphabetically and, and so on and so forth. And it's like, yes, absolutely. You can do that. You can totally tab out, uh, sections like that or have say, you know, in Gepka, you can have book book based tabs, or you can have even chapter based tabs, that sort of thing. The key is you don't have any verse content visible uh, when you're closing that material for whatever definition close means, right? So anyway, that's a handful of stuff there for open book reference materials. Scott, any thoughts on any of that stuff? Anything additional you want to add? So this is getting my competitive juices flowing and thinking of how could I op optimize um, open book quizzing. Um, and I, I was having questions on the types of material that you could have, but you, I think you answered them all, but like, could an enterprising quizzer or team develop open book materials that might be 16 separate smaller binders that you kind of are reordering for, for each query? Like, you know, Oh, it's a phrase query. I want this one. It's a, um, a verse query or a I, I can't remember the subtype name, a quote query. I yeah, want yeah. this one. It's a reference query. I want this one. Um, oh. And so like you have like a specific binder or specific three binders. And I'm thinking like the thinner ones, right? Right. Um, that you're, you know, you're going to grab one of these two or one of these four because it's a, a reference query. That um, is an interesting idea. So the idea being like you might have a a quote binder, which is literally just verse content by reference in your translation. So it's incredibly yep. tiny. You wouldn't need anything else for a quote query. And then if it's a finish, you would, you wouldn't, you, you could just go after your first five words and you would want verse by content. So yeah. I mean, and then yeah, have your like two or three word key phrase across the entire material in a different binder or sets of binders or something like that. Yeah, you could, you could totally do that. The trick is it's, it becomes a little bit unwieldy, uh, to manage all those binders, but there's nothing yep. preventing you from doing it. And so then my next thought was, well, any quizzer who is willing to put in this kind of work for open book queries probably very quickly self-selects into the type of quizzer that doesn't want to ever get an open book query. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, um, that's very true. <laughs> which is kind of the design 
but then I thought, well, what if a, a specific team or organization wanted to always have this level of open book query binder organization ready for their next group of least experienced um, open book quizzers? So it wasn't the burden on the quizzer. Because I think the type of quizzer that would ever care to make this would never want to get an open book anyway. <laughs> yeah, to a degree, to a degree. So like... um yeah, and it's and it's a certainly the level of investment prep required on an individual level to create this from scratch is non-zero, right? It's 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 definitely an right. investment, right? But there may be a collective value with that investment. So, like at IOC in in July, there was a particular team where one of the there's a three person team, and one of the uh, one of the people on the team was a seven point uh, per query on average uh, uh, quizzer. And the other two were not, uh, they had some of the material memorized, uh, but it had been a while, uh, since they had memorized it, they were pretty rusty with it. Uh, they were not in that sort of six, seven point per query, uh, universe. And so the team put together a series of, uh, and, and they put it together very quickly, uh, so it was just a bunch of printouts that they stapled and turned upside down. And they had like at least two or maybe three or possibly four different stapled <laughs> blocks of paper. And they would reach for a different stack of paper based on the query type. Right. And so like the the first five words one. Like, so, so for for a, you know, a finish, they were grabbing a a, a look up the reference first uh, set of material, then they would flip that over real quick and they would grab the other reference, the, the actual verse content by reference, and then find the reference and read it. And it turned out to be fairly effective, not effective hundred percent of the time, but it was fairly effective. And what it, what it allowed the team to do was they were, they were recognizing the fact that, yeah, I'm going to be heavily penalized if I, you know, points, accrual opportunities are going to be heavily penalized for me if I go after open book all the time. So what I want to do is try to strategically place when I get my open book queries to be either, you know, follow on to somebody else within the team, right? So yeah, when you get an open book query, you're only getting one point for that particular query. But if somebody else in your team got an open book query, you're actually earning two points or well actually technically three if if uh because you're getting one for the open book for you uh for your response one point for the follow-on and another point for second quizzer bonus and then of course if you're this the third quizzer then you're getting a plus two instead of a plus one right so there are ways that when you're working in a team you can actually optimize this to squeeze out a few extra points. And this stuff, this stuff accrues. Like you think in the universe where like one quizzer is earning five, six, seven points in a query, what difference does getting an extra plus one make? Well, it really does when you start adding that up across a team where you're able to get a plus one pretty consistently for a follow on. You're able to get a plus one or a plus two for second or third quizzer. This stuff starts to add up. Um, it's, Still, if you have the opportunity to memorize, it's always better to memorize because you'll always be able to make more points. But if you don't have the opportunity to memorize or if it's somebody who's a rookie or or whatever, this is a way to to 
to really get yourself into the material and be able to score a little bit more points than you would just with a straight, you know, open book on say quote query. Yep. And it reminds me of the economic, um, concept of an opportunity cost where the cost of something is sure what you paid for it or what it costs you to get it, but also it costs you what you, um, your best alternative that you're not doing. Right. So in quizzing, when people make an error, so this is pre-CBQ, and you might get a negative 10 points, people will be like, ah, I don't want to error, it's negative 10. Or um, we have no team errors, so just make an error because it doesn't cost us anything. But really, sure, that 10 points or zero like is a cost or not a cost. But the true opportunity cost of an error is the points that you can get on the very next question is zero because you're not allowed to jump on. Right. And so in this case, when you're calculating, do I want to get an open book? Um, it's not really correct to say like, ah, open books are worth so little. It's what is the alternative? And so if for a quizzer, the alternative is getting zero points or um, giving a better chance to your opponent to get four five or six points, it could very well be that it is optimal for you in certain scenarios to get open book questions. And there might be increasingly common scenarios for you to get open book questions if you get those follow-on bonuses or um, additional quizzer bonuses. Yeah, indeed. I do want to underscore something you said a little bit earlier, which is if you're going to invest the amount of time to do the creation of these materials, you're very likely going to be better off memorizing, right? So like, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from creating all of these reference uh, materials that, that, that we've been discussing, certainly go for it. Even if you're going to be memorizing, I think the creation of this material is very, it can be very useful for your prep, right? Um, because you're engaging with the material in a different way. And that that's usually going to work out uh, for your benefit and be ROI positive. But, uh, if you are planning on open booking and you're spending this kind of time invested in creating the reference materials, that's good in the sense that like, yeah, you're engaging with the, the content of scripture and by engaging with it, you're picking up some of the, the material and, and writing it on your heart. And that's great. But I would encourage you to try rote memorizing a couple of verses. I think you'll, you'll, even if you're, if you are sub club 100 and, and club 100 is not a lot, if this is 100 verses in a, in a season is it's not a lot of material. Anybody is able to do this really like, like this, you can do this. Trust me by memorizing club 100, you're, you're not, not open booking because in the verses that are not part of the club 100, you can still resort to your open book and you're going to gain benefit therein potentially with the reference materials that you're creating, but that club 100 list, you're, you, you could potentially go after five, six, seven points in a query. And that's huge. Uh, so even if you're only memorizing five or 10 verses for the entire season, and trust me, you can do more than that. But even if you're only memorizing five or 10 verses on those five or 10 verses, when they come up, if you're able to get the trigger, you can pull out a seven pointer on one of those verses. And that's pretty awesome. Uh, and it goes a long way to a lot of things, uh, you know, in, in terms of your own average and your team's uh, position and a bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, certainly want to encourage people to go after memorizing 
uh, as much as they can. So all of this is kind of a, a balance. Well, uh, where do you invest your time? What do you get out of it? Yeah, and that gives me a couple thoughts. One is I think in the CBQ world, um, you are very heavily rewarded for memorizing. <clears throat> because I sure don't begrudge quizzers who are like, how can I score the most while memorizing the least? It's kind of, I mean, it's part of human survival, right? How can I get the most food by doing the least hunting? Or, you know, how can I learn the most stuff for the lowest effort? Um, and I think there were more opportunities to do that in H2 than there are in the CBQ world. Um, so don't think that open book means less effort for mo more scoring. Um, I think is probably one of the main things that you're saying. But one thing I would also say is from a coach standpoint, let's say you're trying to get someone into baseball. Maybe you want to just have them go to the batting cage a bunch rather than here, I'm going to hit you a hundred ground balls. <laughs> um, and it could be that trying to memorize right off the bat is like just taking a hundred ground balls where you're like, ah, this isn't really that fun. Um, and so there could, it could be that helping out someone on open book is a good way to start the motivation flywheel. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And certainly it helps everyone on your team be engaged. Uh, so, you know, even somebody who never heard of Bible quizzing the morning of a quiz meet and you kidnap them uh, legally, if you can legally kidnap them and bring them to meet and add them to your team. Uh, so, I mean, teams that are, uh, you know, a three person team and one of the quizzers wakes up sick that morning and just can't make a meet, uh, can't make the meet. Uh, just call up some of your friends and say, who can, who can show up to this meet? And it doesn't matter that they've memorized nothing. It doesn't matter that they don't know anything. Uh, you can describe what they need to do in a, a minute or two, and they can put a point or two on the board and they can be part of the experience of quizzing. And it's a way to get them in the door and maybe they get excited about it and they join the team and your team grows from there. So that's stuff for open book, right? And certainly when you're preparing those materials, obviously they need to be printed. They need to be closable for some definition of close. And ideally they, they need to be not cumbersome, uh, so that you can reference them, uh, fairly quickly. Like now, granted, you've got 40 seconds, 40 seconds is a really long period of time, but you can't necessarily be rummaging through hundreds and hundreds of pages in, in your 40 seconds to be able to, to find where, what you're looking for, regardless of how many tabs you have on it. So that's your reference materials for open book. But when it comes to study, there are other things that you can do that may actually be of benefit. And this is where it, it's really going to be ba a lot. I think it's going to be based a lot around your memorization style. So like Scott talked about memorizing by writing out the material uh, by hand. Uh, and that was a way of initially engaging with the material. And then what he wrote out is something that he can then use as a reference reference material for study. I think, uh, there's other ways to go about doing this as well, but again, it's going to be based on what, what is your practice? What works best for you? So uh, one idea I had was you could create an interlinear verse content for all translations with say your translation for the set of verses listed first, right? So if you're memorizing NIV, you put NIV first, and then you have NASB, and then you have ESV or whatever you want to structure that. And you're putting that interlinear verse content together for what I would call pure reading purposes, where Essentially, you're not memorizing from all the translations. You're memorize, You're going to ultimately memorize from your translation. 
but as a way to maybe initially engage with the material, if you're reading it, uh, the verse in your translation, and then a few of the other translations, then when you hear those other translations, it helps you kind of connect the, oh yeah, I remember this is from, you know, verse four or something like that. It allows you to draw that. And even though you don't have the other translation memorized, it's, it doesn't sound foreign to you or weird to you when you experience that translation at a, at a particular meet. Another Another option is you could do, you know, first five words uh, sorted alphabetically and then add reference and verse content for your translation. Uh, you can do uh, the four word CR targets with that are marked within the material. So, for example, if you've got, let's say, either in the interlinear verse content that I was talking about or even just a pure verse content by reference for your own translation, if you go through and highlight every time that you have those four word CR targets marked. This is not useful necessarily for a chapter query open book reference material because you can't like ease. Well, you, it's not easy to just scan the material that way to find a four, a, a four word target in that, in that particular way within the 40 seconds. However, marking those four word CR targets for study purposes when you're looking at your verse content by reference, I think that could be very helpful because it helps those four words stand out to you that like, okay, this is something a little bit special that I need to be aware of could probably be the root of a chapter query coming up in some quiz. So that's my first thoughts there. Um, Scott, any other ideas that you want to throw in on this? Yeah. Like, Every piece of material that I use for studying, I was developing mental footholds so that stuff would stand out, whether that's highlighting unique words or um, making a list of the quote verses with the longest word count, right? Because you have to know those better to be able to get them within 30 seconds or 40 seconds. Um, I once had all the material in a text document and I high, and I formatted the font differently for multiple answer chapter verse references or multiple answers or chapter unique words. And so you could just scan the material and be like, oh, that's right. This this chapter only has two MACRs or, oh, my gosh, this verse has a ton of blue, a bunch of global unique words. And now a lot of that stuff is more relevant for non CBQ because am I correct in like any forward phrase, as long as it meets the criteria of being valid, is um, so actually it's it's four words for a reference, right? But five words for just a plain phrase query. Uh, well, no. So every every phrase, so so a phrase query requires seven, um, and a chapter requires seven. So so okay, let me go back. A phrase query requires seven words in the prompt, whereby the uh, the prompt becomes key at least before it ends, right? So it could become key within the first word. Uh, and when I say key, I mean only exists in one location of the entire material. Um, it can become key either on the first word or the seventh word or anywhere in between, but it has to happen somewhere within those seven words. On a okay. chapter query, it's also seven, but it must become key within at least four. It can be key within one, uh, but it must be key within four and those four must repeat in some other chapter. Uh, now the yep. seven don't have to repeat, but the first four have to repeat. 
But let's take the phrase queries, the seven words, right? Mm-hmm. Am I correct that as long as those seven words meet the requirements for a phrase query, they are as probable to appear as your query as any other seven word phrase that also meets the criteria. Yeah. On a perverse basis. Yes. Right. So like, right. Yeah. Like a verse that's longer will have more queries that can come from it. uh, Sure. More potential queries, but on a verse by verse basis, and this is a very subtle thing in the rule book. I don't know if people have noted this yet. Uh, Query, query generation starts by verse selection and then goes into the creation of the query. So it is not like every query that's possible is generated ahead of time. And then we randomly pull from a pool of those queries, because then what would end up happening is uh, if a verse that was say twice as long, if you had two verses in your, your material, one is twice as long as the other, then you would, uh, in the course of three queries, you would expect two of them to be from the longer verse and one to be from the shorter verse on average, right? In CBQ, that's not how we generate. Uh, we generate based on selecting the verse first and then generate the query. So therefore there is a roughly, I mean, it's, it's based on, it's random. So it's, not always going to align up this way, but generally speaking, there's going to be a bell curve where the center of the bell is, um, is going to be on, uh, is going to be equal across, uh, every verse. Yep. So to tie it back, what I'm saying, <coughs> excuse me, what I'm saying is in age two, the questions that were written by humans had like predictable forms for the most part. Right. And so, there were lots of things that you could like when you're writing questions or making a list where you're like, okay, the question's never going to be in, begin here because that's not how we would speak a sentence in English. Um, but in CBQ H3 world, it that is out the window. So I think there's way fewer um, conventions that you can rely on for where something will start, which is another way that H3 just emphasizes knowing the material because if – any valid seven word um, phrase can be the basis for a phrase query. Um, there's how many of them? Probably thousands in even Gepka. Whereas... Yeah, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. And then, I mean, the responses are also like the response only requires at least one word. And so for phrases that that one word can be the last word of the verse or it could be, say, one word right before a sentence break uh, in a phrase. That's all that's required. You don't you no longer have to go to the end of the verse if it's it's earlier but you're talking about like you know in total for say a phrase you're talking about like at minimum eight words but it could be 12 words or 14 words it kind of depends on on where things are are put together so that's actually kind of an interesting point i should actually i should actually do an analysis to say like on given an average verse how many phrases can be generated from it how many chapter queries can be generated from it. Uh, obviously a quote is just going to be one and a finish is going to be one, uh, uh, for each verse, but like, it will be interesting to find out like how many phrases could actually be generated on a, on a typical verse. Right. Cause I mean, in age two, it was rare to have more than, I don't know, eight interrogatives from even a long verse. And even with multiple writers writing at different times in the year, you know? Right. right. And so if you knew that, then you were kind of saying like, okay, what do I think are the most likely eight spots for different interrogative questions to begin? Right. Which really like limits the pool of starts 
because that's all I cared about was starts. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in age three, it's almost unlimited, I would think. And like to the point where it does, it's not useful to, um, study any sort of list of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not unlimited. It's definitely, there, there's, there's some boxing going in because of the way a phrase has to end in a particular uh, spot. Uh, and the, you know, eight, eight plus words as a, you know, uh, uniform block or not uniform, a sequential block is, um, you know, that there's, that does consume a non-trivial percentage of the verse length, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's unlimited, but I think you are right that I think it is far, far better to just memorize the material and try to memorize it as best you can than to, I I don't think there's much value in, in fact, I, I would say that there's basically zero value in trying to figure out where phrase starts are going to be, um, especially when you're talking about multi-translation. I think there is some value to figuring out where chapter uh, starts are going to be. Chapter uh, queries are going to start. Sure. Uh, that's still going to be a lot of work, but I think there could be some value there. And then obviously uh, finish starts are very important. Right. But I mean, depending on what level you're at, I think there's a lot to be gained from going that deep on references. Yes. Um, Cause I mean, the reason in H2 that I made an interrogative questions list was less about helping me know them, but it was more about knowing the problem spots Right. where I was like, Oh my gosh, like we all know, don't jump on a W, but you actually don't want to jump on a J or a TH or, and so there were other shapes that I was looking for to slow my jump down in addition Whereas for like chapter references in H3, <clears throat> because it has to appear in another chapter, I think they're a lot limited. But it could be that one chapter just has a ton of them and another chapter just doesn't have very many. And that will inform your trigger speed. Yeah, very, very much. Right. And I think doing that study also allows you to move from a potentially five word trigger speed to like a two word trigger speed. Uh, possibly even less, possibly even less in certain, certain cases. Right. But certainly I think you can go from, you know, five plus words down to about two or three. If you're, if you're putting those lists together, uh, and, and exactly where that's going to be, I think it's going to be highly dependent on the scope of the material. And it's going to be highly dependent also on what the other translations are too. Right. So if you're talking about, and and then, I mean, this is where you, you kind of want to do this sort of list creation work across translations. Certainly you want to be familiar with your local translation, but if you are doing this work for remote translations, you can pick out like, oh yeah, these are, you know, two or three words that pretty much only ever come from these two or three verses and link that to whatever that foreign translation happens to be link that back to your local translation. It gives you, you can be very, very competitive in that universe on foreign translations on say chapter references. Yep. Now that I'm thinking back, a lot of my study for internationals was on downside mitigation rather than like, I didn't have lists that I would memorize. So if you said, Oh, what are all the CVRs in Hebrews 112? Well, I couldn't just tell you what all of them were because I had made a list. Like that wasn't the point of what I was doing. But I might have known, oh, in Hebrews 10:28, there's a ton of possible CVRs 
that you have to quote very specifically to isolate. So I would know that so I could mitigate that potential pitfall or downside. Or I would know this chapter is super long and has so many CRs, you really have to trigger slower. <clears throat> and it was more that than, oh, in Hebrews 5, I'll, I'll quote to you all of the potential CRs. You know, I wasn't able to do that. Um, and so do you think that would also be useful, making reference lists or even phrase query lists where you're like, these are spots to avoid or spots to trigger a lot slower? It very likely <clears throat> could be. I'm, I'm t I don't have any data for this, and I'm, I'm totally just speculating based on, I don't know, uh, the feels or something. But it seems probable, it feels probable that that would be true and that there would be value there. And it's going to be, uh, like everything, it's going to be really dependent on what sort of translations are in the mix, right? So if you're dealing with, um, say, NIV and ESV, uh, well, wait a minute, no, I'm trying to remember here. So if you're dealing with like BSB and ESV, I think those two were, wow, I'm really tired. I'm, I could be mi missing, I could be messing this up. Two of the three translations at IOC. So we had three translations. We had NIV, uh, BSB, and NIV. And so, sorry, NIV, ESV, BSV. And two of the three of them were were kind of close. And the other one was, a, was close, but a little bit further away. And knowing that ahead of time and being able to prep certain phrase triggers in your mind would allow you to trigger faster on those foreign translations. And if you were, you know, if you're one of those elite quizzers, you're, you're in the top five or 10% and you're wanting to try to push just an extra 1% higher, I think putting in that investment could pay dividends. And we're definitely talking about like the fringes. Yeah, we absolutely are. But I mean, this is inside quizzing, so we're all about yeah, fringe. But, th but that's the yeah. point. But I, yeah. but I think it is useful to, again, highlight that um, if you haven't memorized large chunks of the material, then knowing where you can trigger faster or slower is not really going to be that helpful. Right. There is a little bit of an interesting irony here that the amount of call it touching reference <clears throat> materials, fabricating reference materials of any kind of way, custom reference materials is both is most beneficial at the lower ends of memorization and at the very upper ends of memorization. It's almost kind of like a U shape, right? Um, is that true? Well, no, let me rethink that. Is that true? It's certainly, I can see the, the ROI value at the lower ends so that you have reference materials for open book. I can see it at the upper end to be able to squeak out an extra 1%, but I think there might be some value in the middle as well. So maybe I'm wrong. I'm having a hard time conceptualizing the value at the middle in the middle. No, just like, n not that it doesn't have value. I'm having trouble conceptualizing the amount of value for any of the levels. Mm, yeah, sure. Sure. Well, I mean, at the, at the, at the, at the lower end of the value of, of the value chain, right. For the, the open book quizzer, you need those reference materials so you can reference them. Right. And so crafting them, working on them and building them gives you a touchable connection to the material such that you're able to reference them more 
easily, right? So even if I haven't memorized, but I have built this thing, this reference material myself, and I've studied it, I've, I've read through it, I've, I've connected myself physically with it uh, by, by usage, frequent usage, it's going to make it easier for me to reference things and faster for me to reference things in the stress of actually responding to a query, right? Um, at the upper level, uh, the upper echelons of memorization, I think it's less about the reference materials for open book, but more the reference materials for study where digging in, especially when you're talking about uh, cross translation stuff, I think that's where like the amount of, of value gain you get by studying uh, cross translation is, I don't know, 3% based on a, you know, scientific, uh, scientific study I just made up in my head, but that 3%, if you do it and you're at that upper end of the echelon tree, that can differentiate you from somebody who didn't put in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with that. And, but like, what, what is the type of quizzer that you would say is in the middle as far as their memorization level? Yeah. Like so, some of the material. Yeah. So like somebody who goes after, let's say club 250, right. Um, that's, that's memorizing for Gepka. That's roughly half the material. It's, it's like a couple of verses shy of 50% of the material. Right. So if you're going after club 250, totally reasonable thing for, you know, a middle of the road quizzer to be able to do, it's totally attainable for most quizzers to be able to get to 250. Um, you can, you know, on, on, quote queries and finish queries you should be able to discern those in your tra well i mean for quotes obviously you can the translation is irrelevant uh for finishes you should be able to grab those pretty quickly if you study across translation then you're able to pick out finishes and move from let's say cross translation without studying you might have a five percent chance of being able to pick up the uh, pick up the query and identify where it comes from but if you study across translation you probably have a 60 to 70 percent chance of figuring it out and if you do you're into the five six seven point per query uh universe there so it could potentially be really beneficial for somebody in the middle to uh, work with study, uh, reference materials in that way, cross-translational study materials. Yeah, I think I agree with that. All right. Well, and on that bombshell, we should probably close here. We actually had a handful of other topics that we we're going to get to, but we talked about memorizing and material references enough that we've, uh, covered, uh, covered the show, uh, length uh, for this period. So we'll have to share, uh, share the rest of the stuff in episode 139. But until then, we would love to hear from listeners who have any questions, comments, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, or paranoia about anything that we've talked about in this episode or any previous, uh, episodes. Uh, so email us please at IQ at cbqz.org. So that's inside quizzing IQ at cbqz Christian Bible And you'll be able to get to uh, Scott and me. And you can follow us also uh, on Twitter. Our account is at inside quizzing. And with it, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thanks to Griffin for co-hosting and thanks to all of our listeners. And we would love to hear your weirdest ways that you memorize. Oh, yes, very much. 